Top of the morning, y'all, from Dawn and Steve. Today is the anniversary of Roe versus Wade, and this hour we'll be joined by the founder of the Abortion Survivors Network. Get in touch anytime, 800-555-7898. And up next is the Devo, and if you want your hands on that, just text the word D-E-V-O, Devo, to 800-555-7898. Going to be heading to the Book of John as we take a look at our motivation for love coming up in just a few moments. But before we get to that, morning, Briggs. How was morning. the weekend? Weekend was okay. You didn't do anything fun? No, it was, it was quite chill, really, with um, just the, the tail end of the weather. So, um, yes. yeah, just in, enjoy being at home with the family. Yeah, it's pretty much what we did, too. A few movies, a lot of games, a little bit of football. So, and it was a, a nice, relaxing weekend compared to what sometimes they turn out to be. So, actually, it was kind of nice to have a chill weekend, wasn't it? It was, very much so. Very yeah. much so. Well, I hope that uh, you had a good weekend wherever you are listening this morning. Love to know how it went. You can uh, certainly call or text in 800-555-7898. We do want to hear from you because Donna's out this week, going to be back on Monday, Lord willing. So love to know uh, how your weekend was. She would want to know, too. So you could honor her by uh, calling or texting in this morning. And that does mean we've got an open microphone. So we do uh, certainly want to hear from you. Coming up about two hours from now, Dr. Michael Rydelnik is going to be joining us to take your questions about the Bible. And so you can begin to text those in right now. We'll get those in queue, I think, as they say on the other side of the pond. Uh, get them in line. Get them all lined up there in queue. You know, I was at a wedding once where I said, and it was an American wedding, where I said, can you all queue up down the stairs for the food? And not everybody looked at me blankly. Yeah. It's not something you say, is it? Not, not really a normal thing around here, no. It was one of those things. It was like People were like, can you translate for us? Get in the line. Get in line. Get in line. Go get those questions in line. We'll get them all lined up for Dr. Michael Rydelnik again, joining us to take your questions about the Bible in about two hours. 800-555-7898. I think uh, both Briggs and I are maybe find ourselves a little bit tired around here. I don't know what your reason is. Mine is that we had two really good football games that we were checking out uh, over the, the weekend. Uh, I know that there were more than two. But the two teams that uh, I was most interested in watching both thankfully pulled out wins as the uh, Chiefs last night beat the Buffalo Bills. I almost feel bad for Buffalo, man. They just cannot seem to beat uh, the Chiefs. But, hey, I wanted the Chiefs to win. So happy about that uh, this morning. And then the 49ers beating Green Bay over the weekend as well on Saturday. I don't know what I'm more happy about. The fact that Green Bay got beaten. And as a lifelong Chicago Bears fan, I feel like that's just kind of written into the contract of that. You can't like Green Bay if you like the Bears. Or the fact that the 49ers won, which I also am a fan of them. So kind of exciting football weekend, depending on who you're pulling for. But uh, I think this upcoming weekend will be a good one as well. But as we get rolling on this Monday together here, we're going to head to the book of John chapter 17 and looking at verses 25 and 26 it says O righteous father the world has not known you but I have known you and these have known that you sent me and I've declared them to your name and will declare it that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them you know you don't organize the kingdom of God you agonize the kingdom of God. All right, so what does that mean? 
Well, you cannot be close to God without being affected by his love. The Heavenly Father loved his Son with an eternal love. And everything in the heart of the Father was released to his Son. As the Father expressed his love for a broken and sinful world, his passion was manifested through the life of his Son. The Father initiated his plan to save mankind. And out of a heart of devotion, the Son accepted the assignment one that took him to the cross. As Jesus walked among people, the Father's love filled his Son. Jesus recognized that no ordinary love could motivate him to go to the cross. No human love could keep him perfectly obedient to his Father throughout his life. Only his Father's love was powerful enough to compel him to commit his life to the saving purpose of his Father. You know, Jesus prayed that God would place this same love in his disciples. He knew that no other motivation would be sufficient for the assignments that God had for them. God's answer was to place his son in them. Do you know it's impossible for the Christian to be filled with this measure of love and then not be on mission with God? If you love God like this, you're going to be incapable of not wanting to serve him in some way. You'll be incapable of ministering to everyone that God sends your way, though, unless you have his love. You cannot forgive others. You cannot go the extra mile. You're not going to sacrifice for others unless you have first been filled with the boundless love of God. So seek to know the Father. Seek to know his love, his immeasurable love, and then allow his son to love others through you. If you want a copy of this morning's devotion, I'd love to get that to you. Simply text the word Devo, D-E-V-O, to 800-555-7898. Again, that's the word Devo, D-E-V-O, to 800-555-7898. Where you'll find this linked on our Facebook page. On Facebook, it's just Don and Steve in the morning. And we're glad you're with us on this Monday morning, the 22nd of January, a day that in one sense will live in infamy. It is the day back in 1973 when Roe v. Wade has passed. And so National Sanctity of Human Life Day, no better day, I think, for us to talk about the sanctity of human life. And one of the things that many proponents of abortion have said is that, well, if a woman wants an abortion, she gets one, everything's going to be okay. But not every abortion goes, quote unquote. Okay, sometimes they don't go as planned. Sometimes they fail. And sometimes those abortion uh, survivors have a story to tell. And joining us to share a little bit of her story, as well as point us in the direction of a number of others, Melissa Oden, author of Abortion Survivors Break Their Silence. Melissa, welcome. It's good to have you with us this morning. Thank you so much. Now, you have your own uh, survivor story of a a failed abortion attempt. Uh, Tell us a little bit of, of, of your story this morning. Yeah, I don't think anybody except for somebody like me can have the eyes and the ears and the heart that ultimately lead us to the stories and the people and the data to show us how often this really happens. So yeah, I'll date myself really quickly from a um, historical standpoint. So you're right, right? This is sort of an infamous day in our history back in 1973. And it was about four years after that in 1977 that my biological mother was forced to have a saline infusion abortion. And some of these details are really terrible, 
to have to talk about and hear about, but I'll go as light on them as I can because people still need to understand what abortion is and what it does. And so the reality is that saline infusion abortion, it was the most common one performed back in the 70s, and it involved injecting a toxic salt solution into the amniotic fluid surrounding the preborn baby in the womb. And then the intent was for it to poison and scald the child to death. So usually lasted about three days. You know, if the child was quote unquote fortunate enough, their life was ended within about the first 24 hours. And then the rest of that time was spent inducing labor because then that deceased child, right, the outcome mm -hmm. expected of abortion would then be delivered. And what we know actually through my medical records and nurses and many people God has just brought into my life is that that abortion that was forced on my birth mom lasted five days, Steve. Wow. Not three, right. but five. And now I know they started to be concerned about whether she was going to lose her life in it. That's another one of those dirty little details that our culture doesn't talk about. And so here she could potentially lose her life. I'm supposed to lose my life. I'm soaking in that toxic salt solution. They couldn't induce her labor successfully. And finally, on the fifth day in August of 1977, they were successful. I'm sure they were like breathing a sigh of relief until I was delivered alive. Wow. And I can only imagine the surprise that they must have then felt. And at that point in time, with such an unexpected result of what they thought was going to happen, what happened next to you? We are termed by the abortion industry as the dreaded complication. Hmm. So that tells you a little bit about the response typically for babies like me who survive abortions. Now, granted, I hear stories from time to time of, gosh, that abortionist jumped right in and, and passed that baby along for medical care. But we need to be brutally honest with ourselves to say, when we know what the outcome of abortion is supposed to be, and the stakes that exist for those folks, we know what the treatment tends to be. So I now know that at that hospital, babies like me, if we survived, were actually placed in a bucket of formaldehyde in a utility closet, left to die to be picked up later as medical waste. And Steve, that was one of those things over the years when I would hear little bits and pieces of, you know, we heard this happen to you and I'd kind of go, no way. Right. Like, yeah. no, no human being, especially not medical professionals. They, they wouldn't do that. They, but yeah. They yeah. So in my circumstances, we know that I never made it to the utility closet. Praise God. But I was initially laid aside. There were arguments made about whether I would be provided medical care. And, you know, some of these details are, I think, super shocking to people. But in it, we need to see grace for the human beings who were involved in these circumstances because Jesus loves them, too. But it was my grandmother who forced the abortion on my birth mom, told the other nurses to leave me to die because she was a supervisor there. Wow. And right. But God. Right. Yeah, but, but God. God. Yep. And now I know at least one nurse defied her orders, rushed me off to the NICU. And that's how I'm with you today. And that's our call, isn't it? That's our call is to just say yes and be the hands and feet of Christ. No, you might not be in that delivery room, but man, who are you going to talk to today who needs you?
Yeah, such a, a great point. And when we come back in just a few minutes, want to continue the conversation about why this call is still so needed today. I mean, after all, we had the Dobbs case not that long ago, right? So didn't that just change the landscape? Is this really a conversation we still need to be having? We're going to find out uh, about that coming up in just one moment. Don and Steve in the morning on Moody Radio. Melissa Odin is a sought-after expert. She's a speaker, a writer on abortion survivors, faith, other pro-life issues, and has written the book, Abortion Survivors Break Their Silence, talking about and sharing some of those stories this morning. Melissa, you were sharing your story with us a few moments ago, how you yourself are an abortion survivor. Uh, Now, I understand for a long time, about 50 years, abortion was the right of the land in this country. But then we had the Dobbs case come along, and things changed, at least maybe that's what some of us think. Um, So is this a conversation that we really still need to be having today? And if so, why or why not? Oh, yeah, more than ever, we have to have this conversation. If if I'm being really honest, when I was working on this book, really, I was expecting the launch to be even before Dobbs. Mm -hmm. And so when Dobbs hit, there was this part of me that was panicking, thinking if only the book was out, right, people would see the truth and all of this would add up. And guess what, Steve, in God's infinite wisdom, he knew that this book needed to come out now because people still need the truth more than ever. And that would be a whole other interview for us to dissect how what has happened and what are the messages people are receiving and why are ballot initiatives uh, not being successful right? All of those things. But I think at the heart of the matter, the short version of that is to say 50 years of Roe radically transformed our nation. And it is going to take decades for us to heal the people, because first we have to reach them with the message, especially in our churches. So we need to reach the people who have been hurt by abortion. And if we've lost, you know, over 64 million that we can kind of put a finger on, If we've lost that many children to abortion, how many hundreds of millions of people's lives have been touched negatively by abortion, whether they can acknowledge that or not? So we've got to heal people. We have to be able to message about the humanity of every preborn child and help people understand this is not a, a woman versus child thing. This is an equal humanity issue and not let us be intimidated by the messages of the abortion industry who seek to just pour gasoline on that fire. So we have to have these conversations and face it and be uncomfortable. And I think in many ways, be ready for the fact that this is the long haul and it starts in our lives, it starts in our families, our communities, and then we can move that circle outward. I find it intriguing that you use the little phrase there, we need to get the message out there especially in our churches. And you would think that is a place where the message would be ready to be received or be heard. People would be aware. So why especially in our churches? Yeah, that makes me very emotional as a person of faith, right? Yeah, right. I, I I spent years feeling like my church didn't even see me, that I couldn't share my story. And I, I want pastors to think about that for a minute, about if that's the way I feel, how do other people feel as well? And I was just talking to a pastor about this that this weekend, which is, you know, if we're not talking about abortion, then first of all, we're missing this opportunity to feed our people 
the truth that they desperately need and they're looking for, right? People, we know the truth, right? It's imprinted on us. And so we're searching for it. And when we don't hear it and receive it, then we kind of start going, huh, huh, huh. But I told the pastor, if we're not talking about it, we're also circumventing God's grace in people's lives. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great that's, point. Come on. Yeah. So we have to be willing to have that conversation. And, you know, what I typically hear from pastors now is sort of like the, well, you know, we're moving on. But really, have we? Right. And as you point out, pointed out a moment ago, so many people have been so negatively impacted by this. I mean, five generations or decades worth of this happening. Millions upon millions upon millions of lives have been impacted negatively by this. But why do you think it's so important for you and for other abortion survivors to share their specific story? Why? I mean, we, we know the numbers. We can look at the statistics. We can mourn the lives that are lost. But you lived. You survived. Why do we need to hear the uh, stories of abortion survivors? For me, the pro-life message centers around abortion survivors. And, you know, frankly, that's why you tend to see us treated as these political figures. You know, for me, there's nothing um, empowering about the way that often survivors are talked about. Mm. And that's through no fault of the pro-life movement. They just simply were doing the best they could with the, the little bit of statistics they have and the few of us that shared our stories over the years. But I got involved in the pro-life movement about 15 years ago. And back then, the only way they knew us was if we came forward with our story. And so think about how many stories exist in the shadows. And so that's part of how this is rolled out the way that it has. But no survivor should have to tell their story unless they want to. And so that's part of why I think our stories are so powerful, because we show the humanity of every preborn child. We show the impact of abortion. You know, I'm a mom. My children wouldn't live if my life had been ended by that abortion. We're the walking wounded. And, yeah. and this is why we need to share our stories and for people to see us, to start to understand in a different way. Well, you've been bold enough to come out and to share your story. And a number of people who have survived have also shared their stories. I'm sure you have many, many, many more than you could be in, included in this book, Abortion uh, Survivors um, Break Their Silence. Is there one story in particular that kind of stands out to you? In that book, the one of the most powerful stories is uh, a young girl who survived a stopped abortion. So they can read that story. It's Vanessa's story. Mom stopped a late-term abortion during the process because she could hear God speaking to her. And right, she was at risk of ultimately losing the baby after the fact. But she went on to deliver a baby girl who is now a vibrant 12-year-old. And there's always hope where there is life. Yeah. Well, I want to come back and pick up on that. Uh, there is hope when, where there is life in just a moment. What a great statement that is. And we want to connect you with Melissa and this book, Abortion Survivors Break Their Silence. Links on our Facebook page, Don and Steve in the Morning. Well, we hope you'll do that. Also hope you'll check out abortionsurvivors.org. Joining us uh, from that organization and author of the book, Abortion Survivors Break Their Silence, Melissa Oden. And uh, Melissa, as we've been talking a little bit this morning about abortion survivors sharing their stories this morning, we think about the healing that people like you and other survivors have had to go through. And maybe not necessarily thinking about 
birth moms, those mm-hmm. who made the decision to have an abortion, and they thought everything was going to be just kind of neat and tidy, and it wasn't. And uh, they were thrown this major complication, and with that may come major emotions and major major hurts that need to be dealt with. What would you say uh, to the woman who this morning is hearing your story, who is remembering that today is National Sanctity of Human Life Day, and man, they're, they're carrying guilt and they're carrying shame today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so first of all, for those women who have had what we would say a successful abortion, right, unfortunately, um, that their child did not survive the abortion, there is healing and hope to be found after that. And you don't have to carry that in silence. And the same to, for men who have been involved in an abortion, whether it was passively or actively, right? There, there needs to be healing and you're not being judged. People are here to support you. But the same is to be said then for women like my birth mom who had their abortion fail, or maybe they've had a successful abortion pill reversal, or maybe like the story I just shared, someone stopped their abortion during the process. This is not a, you know, you you look at it and go, cool, everything's great, the baby survived, we're moving on. No, there is the trauma of the abortion and the circumstances that were first leading to it that are that still need to be processed and dealt with. And then then there is a lot of guilt and shame over, gosh, I can't tell anybody that I did this. And should I ever tell my child? Because they're probably better off not knowing, and I would be better off not having to tell them. But I can tell you that we see that dynamic played out in families in very complicated and often dysfunctional ways, right? You do this dance of something's wrong and we're not going to talk about it. And maybe there's abuse or neglect, problems with attachment and bonding, all of those things. And so we have to break our silence in order to heal our families. So we have to be able to have this conversation. But Melissa, that sounds so scary, you know, for the person who <laughs> is carrying that. And they're like, they, they resonate with your, maybe it's better if I don't. I don't want oh, to. Yeah. What are they going to think? What are people going to think? What What is my kid going to think if I mm-hmm. s- share this? Why is it so important for them to do this? How, maybe what are some of the, the ways they need to think about sharing their story? Yeah. One of the things we do with families is, you know, first of all, yes, we are, there are age appropriate ways to walk somebody through how to talk about abortion in a family, then plant the seed that babies survive abortions, then ultimately lead down that path to, oh, by the way, you're one of them, right? That's, this is a lengthy process. We work with adoptive families. We work with biological moms. Those are some of the support groups that we offer. But what I told somebody over the weekend as well at the March for Life is, When you tell someone like me their story, even though it is hard, it really is, but we can set the stage and and be there to hold somebody's hand, you can identify that everything you've seen in your family or felt about yourself, many survivors will say, I've always been on the outside looking in, right? I don't fit in, I feel different, or maybe I was the black sheep of my family, all those things. But when you find out your story, Steve, you can put your finger on it and go, oh gosh, that's, that's what did all this. That's why I feel the way that I do. I'm not crazy. I'm not weird. I can deal with this. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, 
Uh, this morning, we'd love for you to go check out abortionsurvivors.org. Uh, Melissa Oden with us from the uh, Abortion Survivors Network, author of Abortion Survivors Break Their Silence, and links there on the website to the book. You can, If you forget the website, start at our Facebook page, Don Steve in the Morning, and we're going to link you right there. Melissa, thank you for joining us this morning. Appreciate you speaking out and sharing your story with us today. Thanks so much. Again, if you want to connect, it is abort, uh, abortionsurvivors.org. We'll link you to that through our Facebook page, Don and Steve in the Morning.